BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everybody. I'm Dr. Gina. Welcome to Primetime. The lamestream media unable to ignore the border crisis any longer. The Biden administration trying hard to keep the media away from the facilities on the border, but a very concerned Democrat member of Congress leaked photos to the press from a facility in Donna, Texas. Congressman Henry Swalar sent pictures of the deplorable conditions in a migrant processing facility that is busting at the seams. Swalar told reporters over 5,100 illegal aliens are being held in facilities only meant to hold 700 people. But don't worry. More cages are being constructed so they can pack some more adults and children into detention facilities while they try to figure out what to do with all of them. Now imagine if the border wall construction could have just been completed. The Biden administration wouldn't have to be putting kids in cages if Trump's border policies had simply been left in place. The overwhelmed border patrol agents have also come up with another great idea to help solve this crisis. Just let them go. Check out this headline from Axios. Rio Grande Valley Border Patrol releasing migrants without court date. That's right. There are so many illegals flooding across the border that these illegals are being let go. And it was bad enough that illegal immigrants were being processed and given a court date that they would never abide by. But now CBP is letting people go without a court date at all. I wonder if Joe Biden is actually going to answer questions about this when he finally does take questions from the press, supposedly on Thursday. And you have to wonder why Biden didn't just do that press conference last week before this crisis blew up. Now he's going to get 100 questions about this absolutely man-made humanitarian crisis that Biden single-handedly has caused at the border. And now... Even the Sunday morning news shows couldn't ignore this crisis any longer. ABC's Sunday show and NBC's Weekend Today show went to the border to find out the mysterious reason as to why our border is suddenly being overrun. And this is what an ABC reporter found. This father, who asked that we not show his face, traveled to Mexico from Brazil with his wife and three young kids before crossing the border. Would you have tried to do this when... Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, the, the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the, the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically. Basically. Uh, the main thing was the violence in my country. And the second thing I think was Joe Biden. So there you go. Basically, he came here like thousands and thousands of others because Joe Biden is president. And over on NBC's Sunday morning news shows, they've heard from illegal immigrants this. Some say the new president gave them hope for a life in America. Why did you decide to come now? To take advantage of the opportunity that the president has given to the people from, from, from Central America to come with their families. 
So there you have it. Certain members of the press are getting upset that they are not able to have access to the facilities on the border and are no longer able to ride along with Border Patrol agents. Check out this headline from Just the News. Getty photographer forced to snap U.S. border photos from Mexico as Biden continues media blackout. Says there's no modern precedent for the current blackout. John Moore, longtime photographer for Getty, begged the Biden administration to grant media access when he tweeted this. I respectfully ask U.S. Customs and Border Protection to stop blocking media access to their border operations. I have photographed CPB, um, CBP rather, under Bush, Obama, and Trump, but now zero access is granted to media. These long lens images taken from the Mexico side. Um, he continued with this tweet. There's no modern precedent for a full physical ban on media access to CBP border operations. To those who might say, cut them some slack, they are dealing with the situation, I'd say that showing the U.S. response to the current immigrant surge is exactly the media's role. And he went on to tweet this. The photographs in this tweet string were taken with a telephoto lens from across the border in Mexico. See, until now, U.S. photojournalists haven't needed to stand in another country to photograph what's happening inside the United States. We're going to have more on all of this coming up. Our own Burkwam, Ben Burkwam, is back at the border today. And now that the rest of the media is waking up to this crisis, maybe the rest of the media will try to catch up to Ben's reporting on this. So stick around for that. Now, over the weekend, I've had a sort of a change of heart on how we treated Joe Biden in his near fall down the steps on uh, Air Force One. I felt as though it was a low blow to make fun of an old man having trouble climbing stairs. But this weekend, social media was inundated with past statements made by Joe Biden about President Trump. And that had me rethinking the, you know, the deference that I plan to extend to Joe Biden on Friday. Check out this video that made the rounds over the weekend of Biden's comments after President Trump was filmed walking down a ramp at a speech at West Point. Watch. Look at how he steps and look how I step. Watch how I run up ramps and he stumbles down ramps. Okay? Come on. And if that wasn't bad enough, Charlie Kirk shared an ad that the Biden campaign ran shortly after those comments. Unbelievable. Some people are always in a hurry. They run when they could walk, race up steps when others take it slow. When Joe Biden's president, America is just going to have to keep up. of real journalism being done by folks on social media who look back and actually do the digging that the mainstream press just will not do anymore. But we have great journalists right here every day. Speaking of, it's time to go around America to our hosts and correspondents on the ground to gather news you won't hear anywhere else. Let's start in Washington, D.C. with Sophie Mann. Sophie, great to see you. Go ahead. Hey, Dr. G. So big news out of Mar-a-Lago this weekend, something I think we can all look forward to over the coming months, is that Jason Miller, a longtime advisor and close confidant of former President Donald Trump, says that Trump is currently plotting his return to social media. Of course, uh, as we know, the president was kicked off of Twitter, Facebook, and a variety of other platforms um, in the wake of the January 6th 
Capitol breach. And it's it's felt like a silent time on Twitter without him there the past couple of months. But now Miller says that he is plotting his return. We can see that happen any time um, in the next two to three months. But the real news here is that Miller says Trump is planning to bring his voice to a platform of his own. A whole new thing that we've never heard before, something that he says is going to, quote, change the game entirely. Um, and that, you know, he'll bring tens of millions of users to as he joins a platform and begins to sort of give the American people, his followers, fans and supporters, uh, his voice um, at a slightly closer proximity and maybe on a day to day basis. I mean, I think that we've been thinking a lot recently about sort of what the alternative uh, ecosystem of online platforms can look like as conservatives are purged daily from sites like Twitter, Facebook and the like. Um, so, as I said, we'll, we'll anticipate the return of Trump to some sort of a social media platform where he can share his voice with his followers, and um, we'll see what comes out of that and if Miller has anything more to say as the week progresses. Well, and it'll be really interesting to see what becomes of all these platforms that didn't think they needed Donald Trump when Donald Trump has his own platform. Thanks, Sophie. Let's head out to Denver, Colorado, to the Real America's Voice headquarters, to Jessica Rivera. Jessica, great to see you. I see you too, Dr. Gina. Today, I found a gem of a video that sums up what the left, Democrats, and the current administration want from the American people. The video is from last week, and it's a video of a woman who's talking at one of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's COVID press conferences on Long Island. At first, the lady thanks Cuomo for his leadership, then she says everyone has to get the vaccine without any excuses. But what I could not believe I was hearing was the blatant ignorance she displayed when she demanded that everyone else just obey too. Take a listen. You know, Governor, I want to thank you for your leadership. I want to look at you. I want to thank you for your leadership. We must take the vaccine. I'm not asking what's in the, in the, in the infusion. I'm not looking up all of the ingredients in the infusion. I am sticking out my arm and I am taking the infusion. And that's what we have to do. And when your pastor says to do something, you trust your pastor, you trust your doctor. That's what we need to do. And Dr. Gina, when I saw this video, I literally thought there's no way that someone really believes that you should just not question something that could be life or death or could have major negative health implications. But even more, that others should just fall in line and do the same as you think they should do. So Dr. Gina, I wanted to report on this today because I'm sure many of our viewers uh, or other people have not seen this, but it's a perfect example of what the left the Democrats and the current administration wants from all Americans. So if people actually believe if we just do this or that, we can get back to normal quicker, I'm here to tell you, you're kidding yourself. The left will stop at nothing to get us to this point of ignorance. And it's sad, but this lady is the perfect embodiment of the robots they are trying to turn us into. Dr. Gina. To ask this lady, Jessica, um, what about that 15 days to slow the spread? Um, that was a year ago and if she was that obedient then and if she believed them then or if she believed them when they said don't wear masks also a year ago the CDC and the Surgeon General and Fauci um, and then if they said don't wear them then then why is she wearing one now um, are there so many questions I'd like to ask her if she is into strict obedience like that because the uh, so-called experts that she's saying we should all obey have changed their minds several times haven't they 
They have, and she was using uh, diabetics taking insulin um, as an example as to why you shouldn't question. If you don't question this, then why, do you question, why are you questioning uh, the COVID vaccine? Well, there's a major difference. First of all, insulin has been studied for many years before it came out, all of them. Um, third, or secondly, um, insulin is FDA approved. I don't care what they tell you, this is an emergency FDA approval because we're in a pandemic. This has not been FDA approved. And so there is a major difference. And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't take the vaccine, but to tell people not to question it and to just stick your arm out, um, it's just so, it, it's bizarre to me that people are actually at this level of that little of thinking. It is, it's terrifying, Jessica. It is. It's strict obedience, as, as one uh, Norwegian uh, doctor, neuropsychologist put it, um, this was basically one huge experience, experiment in obedience exacted upon uh, the whole entire world, and it is beginning to look more and more like that. Jessica, thank you. You're welcome, Dr. Gina. Now, let's go to Scott Rasmussen, pollster extraordinaire. Scott, great to see you. Thanks for being with, you, with us tonight. And it's always great to be with you, and it's in a lot of things going on these days. It sure is. Scott, you have a brand new poll. was just posted at Just the News. You asked voters who they blame for the border crisis. And tell us what you found. Uh, overall, 40% say it's President Biden's fault. 27% say it's President Trump's fault. Um, and, you know, when you get into it, there's obviously a partisan bias. Because if I asked if the sky is blue, Republicans and Democrats will give <laughs> different answers these days. Uh, but what's what you see is a little bit extraordinary is only 41% of Democrats are saying it's Donald Trump's fault. Uh, you know, 27% of Democrats say Biden is to blame and another 22% aren't sure, which means they can't quite bring themselves to admit it might be President Biden's. And I think that the real story here isn't about who do you blame for what's happening right now at the border. It's the larger sense of what's happening with the immigration issue. Uh, most Americans support the idea of legal immigration, but they believe very strongly that illegal immigration is bad for America. And they see that as something the president is encouraging. Yeah, it is one of those issues that um, does sometimes do strange things along party lines, especially on the Democrat side. I know my dad is a, just a complete leftist in every single way, but this is one way where he absolutely parts ways with uh, his Democrat friends. And so I was surprised that less than half, though, blame Biden for this crisis because Trump really seemed to have this thing under control. No matter how you look at it, this was a priority of Donald Trump's. Uh, the, the fence was obviously a huge priority of his. Um, no matter which border patrol you talk to, they have great things to say about Trump. They have bad things to say about Biden. Um, do you think this is mostly because of the media blackout at border facilities? Uh, you know, I think it's it's bigger than that. Uh, a lot of, look, President Trump made very clear when he ran for office and while he was in office, that stopping illegal immigration was a very important goal. He took a lot of innovative steps to do that. A lot of people on the political left thought that was a mistake and they assumed everybody agreed with them. Um, and so it's really hard to, you know, to say there's something going wrong here. In fact, some of the political left are probably saying the biggest problem at the border right now is that we don't have more resources to take in more people. Uh, so I think, Gina, when you when you say less than half are willing to blame President Biden right now, 
that's partly an, a, a reflection of the overall immigration debate and partly a reflection of the fact, again, that Republicans and Democrats can't agree on anything. Uh, I do believe, without any doubt, that the Democrats are in a dangerous position politically on the issue of immigration. They always have been, and they always underestimate the danger uh, because they, they don't understand how strongly the desire is of the American people to secure the border, uh, whether it's to protect people from COVID and make sure that everybody's tested before they come in or to make sure that no national security threats come in. Border security is very important to the American people and has been for a very long time. Our political elites just don't get that. Scott, another poll you did a few days ago asked if people would support tax hikes. And that's a big deal now because suddenly Biden's signaling that he would like to raise everyone's taxes. And you asked it in an interesting way. You didn't ask whether or not people supported tax hikes. You asked people what spending program might cause them to support higher taxes. Tell us what you found there. And again, this is something, if you ask about tax increases in general, nobody likes taxes to go up. But we said, okay, what about to fight climate change or to, you know, to reduce the federal deficit or rebuild the infrastructure? And even with those trade-offs, people are saying, eh, not really. 28% said they would increase, uh, they would support higher taxes to rebuild America's infrastructure. But a majority said, no, I don't support raising taxes at the present time for anything. And Gina, we have some other data that we haven't released yet, uh, but it does show when we asked people what would be the best thing for the economy right now, we gave them six different choices. Number one on the list, cutting government spending. Number two on the list, cutting taxes. Uh, this is something that you know people recognize we've been through a, a, a pandemic and there were some emergency needs, but the basic recognition of, that the American people have is that the Cutting uh, government spending is a drag on the economy. Uh, it's amazing. And yet this uh, administration seems completely out of touch with that fact. 52% uh, you said in that poll yeah. don't support any sort of tax increase whatsoever for anything, even, even their pet project, which I find particularly interesting. But Scott, I guess my question on that is how does this compare to polls past? You know, this is actually pretty consistent. Uh, over the years, I've asked a lot of times about climate change, and you find people say, yes, I would like to do more, and yes, I'm concerned about climate change. And then I would ask, okay, how much are you willing to pay per year, uh, either in higher taxes or higher energy bills? And the majority almost always say either nothing or maybe $50 a year, certainly less than $100 a year. Again, there's this sense, uh, I think what most people would say is, yeah, we're wasting a lot of money. If you're gonna fight climate change, take it from something else we're wasting money on and, and divert it. Uh, but there is not a, a great groundswell or a willingness on the American people, on the part of the American people to support these higher taxes. And the reason partly is because of the economic concerns and partly, I mean, really, do you trust politicians to spend your money? Hmm. Yeah. Well, if anybody out there answers yes to that question, they need their head examined. <laughs> Scott Rasmussen, always the boss of polling. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thanks, Jane. I look forward to talking again. Me too. Coming up, the Biden administration is paying for the hotel rooms for illegals who are pouring over the borders. And you are not going to believe the price tag. You'll be enraged. 
if you're a taxpayer anyway. Don't miss it. That's next right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Back in Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Back to Gina Primetime. Our own Ben Burkwam headed back down to the border this week to stay on top of the Biden border crisis. And he's back to tell us about it. Ben, good to see you. Hey, Dr. G. Uh, heading back down. We are, you know, it's just the, the, the story that, uh, the never-ending story, really. I mean, I, I, I'm worried that it, that's what it's going to become pretty soon. Ben, you've been working, uh, you know, doing the work that the mainstream media hasn't been doing. But now ABC and NBC actually did make it down to the border to do some actual journalism-ish stuff. And uh, here is what ABC news reporter, what one of them found when she asked an illegal immigrant why they are trying to get into the United States. United States. Here we go. This father, who asked that we not show his face, traveled to Mexico from Brazil with his wife and three young kids before crossing the border. Would you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, the, the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the, the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically, basically. Uh, the main thing was the violence in my country. And the second thing, uh, I think, was Joe Biden. Yep, and this is what happened on NBC. Some say the new president gave them hope for a life in America. Why did you decide to come now? To take advantage of the opportunity that the president has given to the people from, from, from Central America to come with their families. And Ben, you've seen that when they are out in the crowds, when you've been out in the crowds, you've seen Biden signs, Biden T-shirts. This is all obviously funded by someone. Um, you know, they didn't go to little stands along the roads in Mexico and buy these T-shirts and uh, signs and emblems. Uh, but Ben, you know, it's almost comedic that the mainstream news outlets had to go and ask illegal immigrants why they are suddenly pouring over our southern border and um, yeah, it's something you and I could have answered, but this is the Biden border crisis. They are coming here because of Joe Biden. This doesn't surprise you and me, but it seems as though this is actual news to the alphabet soup media. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to answer your question about the T-shirts, the Biden shirts and the flags, those were actually given to them in Tijuana by a group called Casa de Luz, L-U-Z, Tijuana. Uh, it's a leftist organization that has combined all of these other leftist organizations that we know of, Al Otro Lado, Pueblo Sin Fronteras, Centro Sin Fronteras, uh, the UN, are all, they're all working. It's this cabal of globalist leftist groups that have been down in Central America and in South America training people and Mexico on how to break into America, undermine our, our border sovereignty. It's all part of the leftist agenda 
to undermine America, to get more che uh, votes, cheap votes, because they're losing votes uh, from people that are actually waking up to their lies in America. It's all combined, it's all connected. It is ironic, though, that you had these networks go down there and have to ask the question. But we were told the same thing. You know, we were told by, by people in the camp in Tijuana that they, they came because of Biden and they, they felt betrayed that Biden wasn't letting them in. But this is all, it's all combination of the leftists in America and the globalists who are trying to undermine not just American sovereignty, but sovereignty worldwide. They don't want us to be able to have borders. They want a redistribution of wealth from America and the rich Western countries to countries that they believe are disenfranchised. The problem is, you look at those countries, like he said, the violence. Well, the reason they're fleeing is is corruption, is, is corruption in their own countries. Rather than inviting everybody, all 7 billion people from around the world to go to any open border they want to, what we need to be focusing on is helping nations fix the corruption in their countries rather than uh, emboldening them and the corruption. And that's the problem. A lot of these same people are allied with the politicians, the corrupt politicians in those countries. I mean, it's just, it's a full circle. It's terrible. And you, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look and figure out who's funding, for example, the lighthouse, the Casa de Luz um, that you mentioned, and other, um, you know, so-called religious organizations that are functioning at the border and funding so much of the activities there in Tijuana and other places um, where they are being very well funded. I mean, now, um, now I guess taxpayers are going to put the bill for uh, $80 million worth of hotel bills um, for them to come into the United States and be put up in hotels uh, when we still have uh, Americans that are suffering the, you know, all the things that have happened with COVID and many of them homeless and without jobs and losing their companies, but we're paying millions of dollars for them to go to hotels. What have you seen in terms of the changes, Ben, um, at the border while you've been there? Well, the, the one thing is the Border Patrol and, and the uh, immigration officials here are just getting completely overwhelmed. We're hearing that. The, the facilities are way beyond capacity, hundreds of percent beyond capacity. And what we're seeing is more and more pressure being pushed up from Mexico and Central America. The irony is I actually saw last week when I was down in, in Mexico, I saw more uh, work by the Mexican officials trying to apprehend some of the cartel sc uh, coyotes that were taking people across than I see in America. You have America that has created this vacuum and inviting people in and you actually see Mexico trying to figure out what to do because it's not just hurting America, it's hurting them, it's hurting Guatemala. All of this is, is impacting all of these countries. Uh, and, and really the question comes down to the American people. How upset are the American people gonna be? For instance, when I got on the plane today, when I was getting on, I went through TSA and the, the uh, security guy said, please pull your mask up over your nose. And I can't help but think, wait a second, our government, our federal government is letting in illegal aliens who we know have COVID, who have tuberculosis, who have all these other diseases that we've talked about, hepatitis and, and the like. And, and we're inviting that into our country, but you're worried about me putting my mask over my nose? There's just, I, I think the American people, as long as networks like ours continue to uncover this, and we're gonna be doing that this week. I mean, just stay tuned for what we find in Brownsville and McAllen and Laredo and everywhere else in between. But it's, as the American people wake up, they are going to be outraged. And the only place you can place the blame is at the feet of the Democrats. 100%. Well, Ben, uh, we sure appreciate your reporting. We'll look forward to what else you bring us this week. I know you're down there uh, doing very courageous work. And as always, we're praying for your safety and, uh, and for your continued great efforts to bring the news that nobody else is telling us. Thank you so much.
It's my honor. Thanks, Dr. G. Right now, as the border is being overrun and CBP facilities are overflowing, illegal immigrants are being released into the United States without a court date. It's unbelievable. We're checking in now with former FBI National Joint Terrorism Task Force member, my good friend, Lieutenant Steve Rogers. Steve, great to have you tonight. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Steve, usually an asylum seeker is given a court summons so a judge can hear their case, but not now. And tell us how this came to be this way and what a better answer would be. Well, look, let's, let's look at the reality of what's going on here. This is no one's march to hope, freedom, or prosperity, but it's everyone's march to Joe Biden's dark winter. Uh, the individuals that are crossing the border are not just individuals who may be, to some legitimacy, seeking freedom, although it's illegal. They need to come in legally. But they have opened, they meaning the Democrat Party of this country, now being overrun by socialists, have opened up the gates to coyotes, to drug dealers, to human traffickers, and possibly to terrorists. Now that there's not going to be any court appearances, now that there's not going to be any uh, checks as to who these people are and where they're from, they're going to be transported all over the United States of America, and we will see that dark winter become a reality and uh, uh, spikes in crime and other violent behavior uh, in each of our cities. So th it came to being as a result of a Democrat Socialist Party that wants complete control over the lives of the citizens of this country. They can't control those of us who have lived here and who have been born here at the moment, but they certainly can control the lives of the people who they allow to come in here illegally. Steve, the Biden administration is spending $86 million on hotel rooms for migrants as Border Patrol struggles to handle the surge of families and children trying to come here. And this should enrage any taxpayer. This is a crisis that can be entirely avoided, and it's hard to in any way deny the political motivation when the people coming here are literally wearing campaign material. Steve, why isn't this just patently illegal? Well, why aren't the Republicans who we elected to office raising hell all over this country? Uh, look, Dr. Gina, my first reaction to this as a veteran, 25 years in the Navy, outraged. We have disabled combat vets sleeping in streets uh, on street corners begging for money and this administration is giving criminals because look at people may not want to hear this but if you're here illegally you're a criminal uh, hotel rooms this is patently wrong uh, is it illegal well probably not because they're getting away with it but saying that there's no reason why those at least who we elected to office cannot come together and put an end to this they need to stand up like men and women who we elected to office have the courage of a, remember this guy, President Donald Trump? Have some courage and guts that he had to stand up for what's right and to put to death those things that are going wrong. Steve, a Democrat congressman who's blowing the whistle on, uh, there is a Democrat congressman blowing the whistle on this, but a very concerned Democrat member of Congress leaked photos to the press from a facility in Donna, Texas. Congressman Henry Swalar sent pictures of the deplorable conditions at a migrant processing facility that is absolutely busting at the seams. He told reporters that over 5,100 illegal aliens are being held in facilities meant to hold only 700 people. Go ahead. 
Well, 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 look at uh, the White House calls this a circumstance, not a crisis. Here they, for months, for years, they pounded at President Trump, who, by the way, provided humane services and provided food and the, the, the things that people needed to at least uh, be held in some sort of decent living quarters. But uh, look, it's gone on now. We see it. So where are all the uh, look at where are all the bleeding hearts? Where are all these people that are uh, supposed to be standing up for what's right? You know, Dr. Gina, it doesn't fit the Democrat socialist narrative. This is why programs like yours are bringing out the truth, are letting people know exactly what's going on and why they're not doing it. It doesn't fit their narrative. But what fits our narrative is doing what you're doing, what this broadcast is doing. So all I can say is keep up the good work, because somewhere along the line, let me inform you of this. People are watching and they're listening. And what you're doing is going to spark something across this country that'll be good for America. Well, Steve Rogers, we appreciate your work so much on all of this. And thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, we have another cancel culture segment and the left is eating its own. This is getting really, really interesting. You won't want to miss this next story. More Dr. Gina Primetime after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know what that means. It's a cancel culture segment. We saw the story last week where leftist journalist Alexi McCammond was forced out of her brand new job as the editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue for a 10-year-old tweet that was deemed racist against Asians. But now, one of the senior staffers at the magazine who pushed for this woman to be fired, well, she has some 10-year-old racist tweets, too. Christine Davitt wrote the N-word in a few tweets back in 2009, and now folks are calling for her to be fired, too. So should conservatives jump on the cancel bandwagon when it's eating its own? Here with me now to discuss the congressional Republican nominee in Maryland District 7, Kim Klasik. Kim, great to have you with us tonight. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Kim, it's really, really, it, it takes a lot of self-discipline for conservatives who have lived through being the target of the cancel culture by the left over and over again, uh, when it circles back like Jin Psaki, uh, to bite them. It's hard to not gloat on that. But if you are philosophically opposed to the cancel culture, then that has to be whether it's attacking the left or the right, correct? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm opposed to the cancel culture. I believe that there's room for growth for everybody. Um, but, you know, it's hard to, to shut your eyes to it because people like Alexi McCammon over at, I guess, now longer at Teen Vogue, she was one of the pioneers when it came to the cancel culture movement. Uh, people might not recall, but she actually tried to cancel Charles Barkley a few years back for making a joke that she didn't feel was appropriate. And so for now, to this to come back on her, I think, you know, in a way serves her right, but hopefully this is a lesson that the left needs to learn for them to continue, to not continue to, to press forward with the cancel culture. 
But does the left ever learn? It seems to me that where hypocrisy comes into play, Kim, uh, they just don't learn. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like they learn anything. I mean, look at what's going on at the southern border right now, right? They weren't. They were talking about kids in cages forever for four years, and all of a sudden they can't even be transparent about it. So they don't usually learn. But I'm hoping finally this will be some kind of wake-up call. Uh, I know President Obama actually came forward and said he too was against the cancel culture. So the only people that are really for it, in my opinion are these young progressives that feel that they can just cancel people that they just don't like, you know? And so for right now, I'm kind of looking at this saying, you know, what are the rules? You know, who is uh, up for canceling and who's not? I would think that, you know, some some tweets that came out of Joy Ann Reed's account many years ago, uh, she said it wasn't her, her account was hacked. Anderson Cooper said his account was, uh, or his Twitter account was taken out of his uh, gym locker. So it was hacked too, but these, you know, some tweets came out from them uh, and we're not sure if they were hacked or not, but they were never canceled. And so who is the one that decides who's canceled and who is not? Um, so hopefully, again, this is a lesson learned. Maybe this really comes more down to the American public seeing the hypocrisy of the left uh, and us and them seeing the consistency of the messages on the right uh, than, than actually the left actually learning anything. You think that's it? Yeah, no, that can definitely happen. I mean, hopefully this is something where finally it's out in the open. Look, you know, anyone can get, can get canceled at this point. Um, anyone can be devoured by its own at this point. And I think Alexi McCammon, if she really was sorry about the tweets that she made, that she apologized for uh, twice now, if she really was uh, sorry, maybe she could be the pioneer here and say, look, let's end the cancel culture. I'm sorry that I was ever a pioneer on it. Uh, let's go back in time and try to fix what was broken, but at least not hold anyone to these same standards moving forward. Because yeah. as she can see, you know, this is a young lady that had a promising career, and I just don't know yeah. if it's there anymore. Well, your lips to God's ear, Kim. I won't hold my breath, though. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Coming up, a miracle happened in my life. I'm going to tell you all about it on Doctor's Orders. It's really unbelievable. You won't want to miss it. That's next, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. The days and hours ticking away as we await the big Biden press conference. He's going to finally talk to the press on Thursday after setting the world's records of avoiding the press. <laughs> no president has ever gone this long without taking questions from the press, although some on the left say this is, this is what Americans want. They say this is a smart tactic. They say this is the Biden calm. Kevin McCullough's latest amazing call in the townhall.com is all about the Biden calm, and he joins us now. Good to see you, Kevin. Dr. Gina, always a pleasure to be with you. Kevin, uh, you know, he they're calling this the Biden calm. I think that's a heck of a spin to put on an absolute media blackout. But the reality is he's had reporters submit the questions ahead of time. They're choosing them. He'll have a teleprompter. He'll have an IFB in his ear. For those who don't know, it's this little clear thing that I have in my ear right now that basically means that people can tell me what to say and do in my ear. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but it's the fact that he has not done a press conference to date. He can't even take impromptu questions. 
He refuses to even let the media cover things or ask him questions off the cuff, and that we have no transparency in this administration. Right, Kevin? He's instructed not the Border Patrol, but the media to not ask the Border Patrol questions about immigration. Yeah. Now, what president True. gets to instruct the media on what they can and cannot ask about? Like, when has that ever happened? So, yes, I, I would say that uh, they feel fairly in control of the narrative because you have a media who's willingly going along with it, with the exception of people like Real America's Voice and John Solomon and, you know, a handful of really brave, courageous people that have the audacity to ask about the hypocritical questions that are just looming in the air all around us. Uh -huh. True, true. All right, Kevin, also big in the news today, President Trump starting his own social media site. Twitter uh, going to wish they had him back and probably you and a few others, right? Well, all I know is, is that when I came to the president's defense and said, hey, Twitter, what are you trying to do, self-impale your business? They took that so <laughs> personally that they deplatformed me the same day they deplatformed the president. So, uh, look, if the president thinks that he can do it better, uh, in a free market. And by the way, what has he done in the free market that's been, you know, been worse than anybody else? I've never seen him not win. So this is going to be interesting. Exactly. I think he's going to I think he's going to have an angle on this. And I really hope for all of the, the, the left of center people that are out there that if you think Twitter is serving you well, I hope that you'll join the former president's social platform for this one reason, so that you get a picture of what real free speech looks like. And then you exactly. can judge for yourself who is the real fair arbiter of what free speech is. Love it. One minute left, Kevin. It's time for our meme of the day. Now, this meme shows Jen Psaki here, and she's saying, you have to understand, we inherited the broken stairs from the previous administration. Kevin, everything is Donald Trump's fault. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I think that's a quote attributed to her that she didn't actually give. But when you've <laughs> actually been in Jen Psaki's press briefings or you've seen them on TV or you've vaguely read about them somewhere in the ether out there, this is pretty yep. accurate to what she normally uh, comes up with. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised. But yes, of course, his slip and fall. You know what was funny? Uh, Don Jr. put up this this thing of, of his dad hitting a golf ball, and then it hit the president supposedly in the back of the head and knocked him down the stairs. And the yeah. Hill actually ran a story talking about how Don Jr. was propagating a false narrative. Like oh, they actually they would. thought people believed Don Jr.'s poking fun they at that would. was in some way a serious journalism effort. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us as always, and I'll be on your show Wednesday. And now it's time for doctor's orders. Yesterday was World Down Syndrome Day, and I am blessed beyond measure to be the adoptive mother of one of the most amazing people you could ever meet. His name is Samuel, and he is a little man of few words, but somehow he manages to speak volumes to me when it matters the most. If there's a bad day or politics gets to be too much for the wisdom of those I know around me, well, Samuel steps forward with the wisdom that no one else seems to be able to express. He reminds me why I fight. He reminds me what's really important about fighting for those who don't have a voice and won't be able to fight for themselves if it all goes down. He reminds me that God expects me to stand, and he reminds me that God is the God of miracles. 
Samuel was born with 10 congenital abnormalities. And when the adoption agency called me, they said that my husband and I would probably be adopting him so that he would have a name on his death certificate because it was very likely that he would not survive. At the time, I was pregnant with another baby, and I had just lost twin boys as well, and I didn't want to lose the baby inside of me to yet another subchorionic hemorrhage as I had lost the twins right before that. I was determined to carry this baby full term, and so I was on full bed rest when I got the call about this baby, Samuel, who needed my name on his death certificate so that he would have parents to usher him on his journey to heaven. Now, my husband and I had tried for about 10 years to adopt a baby with Down syndrome, and I had just about given up, frankly. For years, I had combed through the Yellow Pages, uh, for those of you who remember what Yellow Pages were, and I'd called every Planned Parenthood I could find to ask them if they had any babies with disabilities that were expected uh, that, that the mother didn't want to abort. I said, my family would love to adopt a baby slated for abortion if the mom was having second thoughts about the abortion. And finally, one day, one of the Planned Parenthood workers got frustrated from taking my phone calls year after year and said to me words I will never forget. She said, Dr. Loudon, we're not in the business of adoption. We abort babies here, and you need to stop calling us. So even though I always wanted a baby with a special needs, at this moment I was on full bed rest per my perinatal specialist, and my husband was in the busiest time of his Senate career ever. I called him knowing the answer to, can we get another baby when we already have three and one hopefully on the way? I thought it was going to be a hard no. But as he often does, he surprised me with his answer. Call the adoption agent back and tell her yes, he said. I was shocked and speechless when he answered me that way, and I started to question him when he interrupted me because he was in such a hurry negotiating pro-life bills in the governor's mansion that day. He said, Gina, this is so easy. If we don't have room in our hearts for this little guy who needs us right now, then God does not need us in politics. This is a matter of priority. Call them back, he said, and tell them, yes, we'll take him. And then put your mother on the next plane to go get the baby. My mother was a nurse. And, and then tell them we'll be there as soon as possible, as soon as your perinatologist says you can travel to get him. And he said, now I've got to get back to the governor's mansion, get these pro-life bills done for the other babies we need to save. So I hung up the phone and I called the adoption agent back, and the rest is history. I called my perinatologist to tell her what I had done, feeling kind of like a bad teenager who had adopted too many puppies or something. And she said, come in for an evaluation. Miraculously, my subchorionic hemorrhage that had killed my twins had resolved itself with this pregnancy. She said she's never seen a miracle like this before, and she gave me full permission to travel to get Samuel. Now, to be extra safe, we rented a van so I could lay in the back all the way to Tampa General Hospital, where tiny little Samuel, who fit in the palm of just one hand, was waiting for us with my mother, a nurse, who was taking care of him, as, as you know, holding him just as often as she could and trying to get him to eat on his own so that he could come home with us. He weighed just three pounds. And by the time we got there, um, all 10 of these congenital abnormalities had resolved with the exception of one, Down syndrome. But that was fine with us because we had always dreamed of adopting a baby with Down syndrome. And so as soon as we could give him enough to eat for the hospital to release him, we got to bring this tiny little nugget of love home, feeling like we were stealing a treasure or something. It was the most unbelievable feeling in the world to walk out of a hospital with a baby that we didn't give birth to and also one tucked safely inside of me that no one knew anything about. 
we literally felt like we'd pulled off some amazing heist. I don't know. We felt too blessed to be in reality. And today, I'm happy to report that Samuel is a happy, healthy 14-year-old, and we call him the belly laugh of our family's soul. And that's exactly what he is. Today, our goal is to help others know this joy. We have a foundation that helps other families adopt children like Samuel who have uh, Down syndrome or other disabilities. He grounds us. He makes us laugh. He reminds us of God's hand in our lives every day. He helps us see the blessings in little things. He constantly urges us toward the heart of God. And he slows us down to stop and smell the flowers. He has a gentle touch that is the touch of angels. And when I look around at families that don't have a child with Down syndrome, I feel sad. Because if you don't get to be around someone like Samuel every day, there's something missing from your life. And I don't mean this in a disparaging or patronizing way, but I do mean it with all my heart. He blesses us in ways that are indescribable. And I wish everyone had a Samuel in their lives every day like we do. So if there's any way you can, whether it's by adoption or by helping stop that almost 90% of, of children like Samuel who are aborted, then please do. We all need a little more Samuel in our lives. If you'd like to read more about Samuel's story in its entirety, I tell it in a couple of my books, which are available on my website, drginashow.com. And that is your doctor's orders for today. Thanks for joining me tonight, and thank you to everyone here at your new home for real news, RAV-TV, Real America's Voice. Live from Studio 6B is up next with Damon and the crew. Hug your children, love your God, go boldly now, and live the truth. Good night, everybody.